Matt is in gear. Hey, welcome to Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich Mellon. And I'm Sandy Mellon. And we are near Cumberland House in um, kind of central Saskatchewan, a little bit north of central Saskatchewan with Mark Montsebronton. Did I get that right? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> so, Mark, Mark, welcome to the show. It, it, it is a pleasure, sir. We, uh, we, we've been conversing about uh, doing this TV show here for quite a while, and that's what we're here doing is, is we're, we're filming uh, TV with, with Mark. Uh, we, we thought while we're here, we, we had to spend a little bit extra time. You, there's always so much time you have on a TV show, but podcast is, is free form, and we can uh, talk as long as we want to. Yes. And it's fascinating because tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, wh- how did you get started? I mean, you, you've done many, many jobs over the years. Um, who is Mark? Well, I was born at, um, in a little uh, farming community north of Prince Albert called um, Mayview, and it's right on the south end of the National Park. And uh, it's much the same as we have uh, the area here. It's a uh, subboreal forest and... Um, I come from an area that had a lot of fur around it and a lot of wildlife. Uh, as I said, we were about two miles off the national park, and it's uh, just wild, wild uh, anywhere north of there. So uh, that's where I grew up, and um, you know, as kids, uh, trapping was uh, probably the only income source we had. We picked a few berries, and you know, you can maybe get a job for two dollars a day uh, working for a farmer or something. But uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I found uh, trapping was something that I really loved, and. Uh, kind of stuck with it all my life. Well, we're right here on the uh, Saskatchewan River. Yeah, we're about 800 meters from the Saskatchewan River at the cabin is where I'm here yeah. right now. So. And, and the Saskatchewan River is a very major uh, watershed that runs through uh, Alberta, rises in Alberta, the mountains of Alberta, and there's a north and south Saskatchewan there, and yeah. they, they run together uh, to form the Saskatchewan River just how many miles? Probably about uh, 80 80, 90 kilometers uh, west of here is where they uh, they join right. and uh, go into the Saskatchewan River. And then after they join, they uh, form Cadet Lake. There's a hydro dam at Cadet Lake, and then uh, it runs out of there. It runs into Tobin Lake, and there's another hydro dam, and then it's uh, basically wide open to Lake Winnipeg from here. Yeah, yeah, and Winnipeg, of course, is, is world-renowned. Uh, lake Tobin is world-renowned for walleye fishing. Yeah, we definitely have some good walleye in the area, that's for sure. But you're telling me something I wasn't aware of today as a trapper was uh, about the, the freshwater delta that, that is involved. Yeah, the Cumberland Delta here is uh, the largest freshwater delta in the world, and uh, I'm really lucky to be part of it. It's, uh, it's a, just an amazing uh, ecosystem that's here. We've got uh, phenomenal amounts of wildlife around. Uh, the flora and fauna that's here is just second to none in the world. So. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a lot like back home, except yes. more, more birch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, there is more birch. We, Sandy's we're not as, a big I, fan of birch. The I Queen of Fire is a big fan of birch. I do love yeah. birch. Yeah. A lot of similarities in our areas. Like you're close yes. to one of the first first trading posts uh, in in um, in Alberta, I guess, is where your line is yeah. not far. And same as here, Cumberland House was the first uh, city or first town that was set up in. Uh, in um, Saskatchewan here, it, uh, they put, put a church in. First of all, it was a Northwest Company uh, trading yeah. post, and yeah. then it, uh, they set up a church, and it was the first school in Saskatchewan. And, Isn't it amazing? Yeah. So many communities in what would be considered north for most people uh, were the first settled, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and they were major, they were major uh, uh, centers of, of, of uh, commerce and everything Absolutely. else. And now yeah. today, today if, you, if you take a 200-kilometer band across southern Canada, you would remove 90% of the people out of Canada. Yeah, exactly. Right? And yet 
when it went back in the old days when it was about money and, and, and about making a living and that, we were way up in the north. You yep. know, Fort Chip and, and Cumberland House, so those places, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So what was the fur that brought uh, everybody to Cumberland House? Basically, it was a beaver that was uh, this in this area here, you know, the the uh, European market for beaver. Right. And, uh, and it brought in the voyageurs and uh, the, the fur traders and uh, they kind of headed out from here and... Uh, and uh, it was one of the, the biggest uh, areas of fur production in the world because uh, with the Delta, it's, uh, you know, a super ecosystem for any type of uh, water, water type fur. Right. With the muskrats and the beavers, like there was, we used to get a half a million muskrats a year out of here before the hydroelectric dams came in. So. Yeah, well, it's the same thing happened to the Peace uh, uh, Delta in Alberta was uh, the Bennett Dam in B.C., controlled the flood so much all those ponds and that that supported so many of the muskrats weren't getting flooded every couple of years they lost the water level and that was there was a hundred thousand muskrats a year came out of there in in the 1800s yeah now that's just fascinating to me we think we are we think we're cutting a fat pig in the butt and now we're, we're such great wild pioneers and all that these guys <laughs> were here <laughs> 200 years ago. Yeah, and they didn't have all the modern tools that we have exactly. now. Exactly. No. So. Yeah. I, could, I couldn't get her to trade her Argo anyway. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a, I've got some dogs in a dog sled, but I tend not to use them. The skidoo is so much easier. So. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? But we're, haven't we been lucky, like, the last few days here, the, oh, the temperatures? It's... And we are, you know, kind of three-quarters of the way through November, and it's been wow. positive positive temperatures i've seen so. a lot of 40 below over the years i spent quite a few years guiding and uh and uh for white-tailed deer and this is uh you know prime ruts just uh finishing up right now yeah. and uh, there's been a lot of days when i brought my guests in to look just like icicles they've been sitting in their tree stand all day and it's funny where we where <laughs> we're from in alberta the, the two coldest months and snowiest months of the year are january and november yeah, yeah. you know yeah. and it's not been the, a, a usual november yeah. people will say that it's climate change or whatever but i, I prefer just to say it's weather weather yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we have a lot of muskeg up here so i can't access a lot of my line yet the muskeg's not froze and uh whatnot so we're only on a small portion of what i have to set so is what we're checking today but uh how big is your line uh, i've got about 190 uh thousand acres um i have uh Pretty much about 130 square miles on this side of the river and about 80 square miles on the other side of the river. And you get that big river right in the middle. Yeah, right in the middle. And then I also have uh, another river that's uh, really good for producers called the Torch River. And oh, okay. I have about uh, seven or eight miles of that too that runs through my trap line. So. And what, what fur is, is here mostly? I have Martin is my is my cash crop here kind of thing. I have uh, lots like I've been taking 40 a, 40 a winter. I quit at 40 because uh, we don't have any um, quota here in Saskatchewan, but right. just managing your own trap line. And uh, it seems like uh, taking 40 a year that the population is increasing like we went out today. And as you've seen, pretty much every trap was either sprung or had something in it. So. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned that you do that there is no quota for martin is there no quota for any animal here no, no animals here at all oh, it's all wide so that's open. quite different than Alberta. yeah we used to have quotas on a lot of stuff but uh since you know the 80s and the crash of the fur prices uh, there's not as many people trapping and uh i think if the fur price ever came back and you know we got a lot of people back in the industry they probably would bring quotas back but the few trappers that are still doing it are uh, you know just not able to touch what's here for fur so you have a registered trap line system here in, in yes. Saskatchewan yeah we have uh, I think it's 88 88 uh, community blocks uh, that are broke up and uh, some are broke up into individual zones like this one here we have six zones in I'm in 
in uh, P31 and uh, I have zone four. We have six different people that have uh, trap lines in this area that I'm in right now. So. Okay. And some areas uh, like uh, over on the other side, uh, what they do is it's uh, you get voted in and then you can trap anywhere on that area. I have a designated area where I can trap here and nobody else comes in and traps mm -hmm. on it right. kind of thing. But there's a lot of overlap in some of the other areas and oh. now it's not causing any issues. But in the old days, there was always some, you know, a little bit of Fireworks. Negotiations <laughs> over what was happening. And negotiations, so. much better word, much better word. Yeah, yeah we, you, uh, we have bankers a... bankers always go for the throat. <laughs> such a bad rap. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's very similar in Alberta, but none of ours overlap. Yeah. So okay. we, no. we have... So in addition to the trapping, though, you also, uh, I understand, you harvest wild rice? Yeah, I've got uh, three leases up here now where um, I have uh, wild rice that probably next year will be my first major harvest on a couple of them, and I might have to do a little bit more seeding, but I'm just getting started in it. The Delta is phenomenal for rice. It has uh, all the right everything, the soil, the, the water, um, everything is just perfect here for it. And uh, I, I, am, I am fascinated over wild rice. When we first started <laughs> tournament fishing in the U.S., yeah. go to Minnesota, and every one of the sportsman's clubs alongside Lake Malax or whatever, and they always have wild rice soup, which has bacon in it. Yeah. I mean, all good soup has bacon exactly, in it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we became, we, we so fell in love with wild rice. Tell me about it. I'm, I'm, I tried to I tried to get wild rice to, to plant in, in the ponds on my, my property in, in Alberta, but I'm told that I have, I have clay bottom and that won't work. Well, basically what I've found is if you got lily pads, the wild rice will grow. Oh, oh. We, don't, kind of thing. we don't have lily pads. You don't have lily pads? No. Um, no. What you want is you want uh, a soil that when you pick it up and put it in your hand uh, and you squeeze it together, it'll, uh, it won't uh, go into a ball. Uh, kind of thing. It'll it'll kind of compact, but then when you put it back in the water, it'll just fall apart again. Oh, okay. so it's so got a, it's a lot of ha has to have a lot of organic. We have a it. lot of clay yeah. up yeah. where we are, so yeah. yeah, it probably isn't ideal. Another thing that uh, is really bad is fluctuation fluctuating the water levels in yes. floating leaf stage. If the water goes up two inches, uh, you've lost your whole crop for the year. So, kind of thing. So you want something that's going to have. You have to have a little bit of movement to the water. Uh, the water can't be stagnant, and uh, you can't have uh, like big water fluctuations uh, during that floating leaf stage. So, are you? I'm trying to get my head around this. What depth of water are you planting in? Um, it'll grow from right to about uh, you know maybe four inches, right to about twelve feet. Is uh, I've twelve feet deep. It'll, it'll come up twelve feet. It doesn't grow really thick in that area, but that's about the maximum that I've seen it come up in. So, but uh, probably f uh, you know. 18 inches to six feet is probably the ideal depth you're looking for. So, And how do you plant it? Just out in a canoe and fling it? Well, or? Yeah, that's what I do. Uh, <laughs> some of the commercial guys, they've got like, um, I don't know if you know about farming, but they used to have the, what they call the straw or a straw spreader on the back. It was yes. like a, on yeah. the back of a combine. Yep. And some guys have set that up where they dump the rice in there and then they drive with their airboat and it just throws it all out in front. And oh, okay. Whatnot. But we're still doing the old toss and <laughs> toss and grab another handful so well that's fascinating so you are actually planting wild rice then in these on these leases these yep. lakes you have yeah the they got some rules like the it can't make it to the river uh, the the water that we have you know there can't be an open way to the river or uh, they don't want it to transfer on its own right kind of thing so but there's all kinds of little ponds here that have a little bit of movement in them with um, you know that are ideal for growing rice and um, like I have a friend uh, this year, he took off, um, I think, 1,800 bags. Uh, 1,800 bags? 1,800 bags he took off this fall kind of thing. Wow. So, 
in a three-week period that comes off and so and, uh, and so how many how many you? acres would that be he would probably have oh maybe maybe 400 300 acres of rice to oh, wow. get that off of kind of thing it's not a not a real large patch so no and then um you know some some lakes will grow from side to side and some will just grow on the edge and uh you know depending on water depth and what type of soils there as well so Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's all harvested with airboats, and, uh, you know, I did a little bit this fall with a canoe, but uh, it takes a long time to get a bag. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. So how much does a bag weigh? Uh bag weighs about 60 pounds. Okay. And, and what's that worth? Uh, I think it was about a buck seventy a pound this year is what it was bringing. So, really? Yeah. And is that a fairly good price? Or It's uh, pretty good. Like some people got two bucks. Uh, some guys have rice that's a lot longer than the others mm. kind of thing. So some guys got a couple bucks for it. And that's, that's, it's, uh, it's up quite a bit over the last few years. Yeah. It was a dollar a pound for many years there. And I used to have some pretty good leases uh, back at uh, my other trap line uh, um, that we produced a lot off of, and when I moved over here, I decided that I wanted to get some, you know, I wanted to try and find a way that I could uh, make a living uh, up here and uh, not have to stay on the road so much as what I'm doing now. So uh, I've been diversifying into a whole bunch of little things. So, you know, right. you get into... into Correct some, me if I'm wrong, but wild rice is not actually rice. No. It's no. a grain. It's a grain, yes. And it it's is. the only grain native to North America. Yeah, that's right. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. See, you didn't know I knew that. I didn't know you knew that. It's surprising me. But, Mark, you talked a, a lot about um, some honey, wild, wild <clears throat> flower honey. Yeah, a few years ago, we were, uh, I worked for a company that uh, does training, uh, and uh, it, uh, the training all uh, boils back to uh, finding more employment, you know. So we were looking at there's not much employment in the north, so we are looking at some new ideas, and... Uh, I come up, well, how about raising honey? I said, you know, he, and so my the guy, my boss says, uh, do you know anything about bees? I says, uh, no. So he wrote me a check. He said, go figure it out. So the last four years I've been playing around with bees and I think I got them down to a science now. So I've been doing some investigating and uh, doing some pollen counts and stuff on different honey, on different uh, honey. See, like each honey has, uh, have you got, have you heard of Manuka honey from New Zealand? Yes. yes. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's one of the best um, uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria killers in the world, eh? Yeah. Uh, and stuff. So every uh, flower that they eat has a different medicinal quality to it. So the different, like we, fireweed honey has a, you know, uh, some uses and the different ones. So what I'm doing here is um, I'm 10 miles away from the farmland, uh, more than 10 miles, so the bees aren't going to fly that far, and I'm right. not going to have to worry about any type of disease coming from down there. So I'm I'm keeping a few hives up here, and then I'm just putting on different uh, different types of uh, crops that are available, and then I'm going to try and market the the wildflower honey for the. So what ones, yeah. what crops are going to be available for your bees? Um, basically, the the fireweed is a is a pretty important one. Right. Uh, I'm looking forward to see what happens with the with the the connect uh when it blooms uh, oh, okay. they seem okay. to really they seem to really go for that this spring here um aster is another one that we have a lot of uh, wild aster in the area uh -huh. and um it seems like there's a every week there's a different batch of flowers blooming up here so uh, do you, you have know. twin berry uh, yeah we have twin berry yes yeah yeah yeah, I think so. yeah, that would that would make a very sweet honey, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, and then like in the spring we get the choke cherries uh, yeah. and the Saskatoons and buffalo uh, bush. Buffalo bush. Yeah. Uh, we don't have any buffalo bush right up here, but no, no. But uh, like a lot of wild raspberry is up here. Yes, what about uh, a lot wild of roses. Uh, yeah. Lots of wild roses in this mm -hmm. area, yeah, kind of thing. So they smell so good. I'd like to eat that honey. Yeah, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wild roses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's really fascinating. I, I think that's great. Oh, he, 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 he wears a lot of hats. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, how many jobs did you say you've had? So I've had 137 different employment opportunities in my life. So. <laughs> like he says that employment opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about then about herbal medicine, like chaga. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been studying medicine for a long time. I've uh, always had this belief that uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, they don't make cures; they make customers. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I've, yeah. De- I've decided that uh, I uh, wanted to learn a little bit more about the natural stuff that's out there. So a lot of the elders uh, have kind of taken me under their wing and showed a lot of the different traditional medicines in the area. So I've become pretty knowledgeable about them in the last few years and uh, I haven't uh, personally I haven't been to a doctor in a few years and I think I'm pretty healthy so so chaga is a, a very important uh, her- herbal medicine right yeah chaga is uh, um, there's a lot of st- nobody really knows exactly what chaga there's never been a lot of scientific study done with it yet but uh, I've taken some um, to the University of Saskatchewan and they're doing some testing on it now to see what it's all about. And uh, there's a lot of things like uh, people figure you go pull, pull a piece of chaga off the tree and it's going to fix everything. But uh, chaga to be properly harvested, it has to be harvested below 13 degrees Celsius. Oh, uh, really? To make it, uh, yeah, to make it. Uh, so, so why? I have no idea. But uh, well, there's a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> I think what it is is after that, what happens is after the tree gets to that, it's put everything that um, that's inside the tree. It puts it into the chega for the winter. Oh, so what you're saying in the fall time? Yeah, in the okay. fall time. But ah. it, we, you've got to hit you've got to hit that 13 degrees. That, you, could, that could be June at home. 13. So it, well, <laughs> minus 13. Oh, minus, oh, 13. Oh, minus 13. Oh, yeah, oh, minus 13. Okay. So it's got to be frozen. And how do you take it off the tree? Uh, basically, what I use, I use a wood chisel, and I take about only about half of it off the tree it'll grow oh. back uh, I've been they've been they've been harvesting chega in uh, northern Europe in uh, Russia and Poland and for quite a few years and they oh. have all different types of uh, um, concoctions made with it like you can buy chega beer chega wine um, a number of different uh, things there that uh, they we're gonna have it. some chega tea later yes we are yeah absolutely yeah. excellent yeah. it is a fungus it is a fungus yeah that grows on the tree and, and basically what kind it, of tree it uh, grows only on the birch uh, only on birch yeah in this area we have the white birch but uh, it grows like in the united states on the silver and uh, i forget which uh, birch is over in europe that uh, it grows on but it only grows on the birch and uh, basically what it's doing it's slowly killing the tree uh, really yes it is uh, the tree there's some damage to it um, and it uh, it's uh, taking the new it, it will sooner or later kill the tree but it takes like probably 30 years to kill that tree so, no. yeah. so it's like being married yes much the same much the same wow. i don't know i've never been married that long so. wow wow i couldn't help myself well, well you should try harder we've been married for 40 years but i'm pretty sure i'm going to kill you now Oh, that was just—he floated that one up there. It was just—I had to hit that one. No, he was not looking for that to go out of the park. I know. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. what are some of the uses for chega? Well, chega is—it's—it's uh, um, it's really good. Uh, I know one First Nations community here; they have a lot of—they uh, have a lot of issues uh, with um, diabetes. Okay. And uh, they've uh, made a concoction, chega with a couple other plants, and uh, they take it to their elders. Um, they bring them like a gallon jar of the tea every Monday. And uh, they've taken about 60% of their elders off of metformin. 
Um, it's only, it doesn't work on type 1 diabetes to take them off the insulin, but uh, with uh, type 2, it's, uh, they have some pretty good luck with it. That's fascinating. Um, another thing that uh, it's pretty good with it, uh, it strips cholesterol out of your system really quick. And uh, if you have high cholesterol, so the bad cholesterol. The bad cholesterol, yeah. It'll, it'll strip the bad cholesterol out of your system. Uh, but the big thing that they're really investigating now, and I've seen seven instances where people have taken Chega, where they've had cancers, and uh, it's totally demolished the cancer tumor out of their body. Really? Kind of thing. Really? So. You're saying, too, that, and maybe this is part of why Chega has, has some of the value it has, is that the, the sap of birch tree is, is very, very useful as well. Yeah, the uh, birch sap is uh, is pro probably got the healthiest sugar in the world. It has a Zion sugar in it, but it's very low content. Uh, is uh, it's only about one percent sugar the sap that comes out of it. We've got a phenomenal birch uh, area here that uh, that has um, just a lot of old growth birch in it and stuff. So I tried tapping them the last uh, couple of years, and um, looks like I've got a little commercial venture starting with it. So yeah, you were saying. That you could get what forty liters a day. The, out best of a I, the best I've done out of a tree is forty liters. Even a small tree like uh, the size of a coffee cup will still pr probably produce maybe three to five liters a day. So that big. Yeah. Three to five liters a day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and probably for seven days it'll run. And like I was, I was telling you before here in my yard, uh, the with the southern exposure. It'll run for about a week there, and then uh, as the yard thaws out, uh, the north side will start to run. So I, I actually collect for about three weeks around here. And how many liters did you get last year? Uh, we got about 3,000 last year is what we collected. Uh, we weren't really set up. We were hauling it all in 20-liter jugs, and there was a lot of, uh, there's going to be a lot of changes for next spring. <laughs> Yeah, it always starts out with, yeah. yeah, look at, and then it's like, oh my gosh, look this at it. one of those opportunity, uh, uh, job opportunities, that employment opportunities that got out of, out of control in a big hurry. Yeah, that's for sure. I've come up with an idea of um, the energy drinks, or, you know, people are so into the energy drink thing, and uh, I've uh, come up with a little mix of uh, a number of the plants and uh, natural stuff in the forest that grows right around here. And uh, I've developed something that works just like uh, Red Bull or those, but doesn't have any caffeine or sugar in it, kind of thing. So, no kidding. Yeah. So, so isn't going to put you in the hospital with a nosebleed? No, no. It's uh, it's uh, uh, you know it increases your alertness, kind of thing. And uh, you know if you're tired or you're just got that uh, you don't need that little extra kind of thing. It seems it works much the same as an energy drink does. So. What would be the one other important uh, herbal medicine that from here in the forest? Um, Calamus americanus or rat root, uh, is what the, the locals call it, is another uh, very strong uh, medicine uh, that's here. It's, uh, it looks just like the bulrush, uh, except uh, the spin on the leaf uh, when you take uh, like a cattail. Uh, if you look at the leaf as it comes off, it comes off in a cl clockwise motion. Um, the, uh, the, the Calamus americanus or the rat root will come off in a counterclockwise, the leaf will turn on a counterclockwise. So if you're looking down from the top? Yeah, well if you just pull the leaf out kind of thing, you know, and you'll see which way it turns oh, okay. kind of thing, and if it turns in a clockwise <clears throat> or a counterclockwise is, uh, is the difference. Counterclockwise is it, the good one? Is the rat root kind of thing. Uh, it doesn't grow a, 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 a cattail like that, but it does grow like a little corn about halfway up the stalk. You'll see that come out in about August and it's, uh, it'll come out green and it'll, it'll turn a little bit brown at the end. So I don't think I've ever seen that. It's really mm. hard stuff to harvest. It has, uh, it has uh, really long rhizome roots and, uh, 
I uh, was doing some work on my road and there was a little area just on the side there that I dug some roots up and put in there last year and I uh, put one root in there and uh, this year it turned into 14 plants. Wow. wow. So it's a rhizome root, like, just like quack grass if you're a farmer, uh, it yeah, grows as much yeah. the same as that. And, yeah. and it takes right over really quick. It grows often right in the same place as, as a cattail will grow, kind of thing. So, and, so it's uh, a similar... Um, well, uh, I, use, I use it mostly, uh, one thing I find is um, uh, in the winter when it's really cold, I'll put a little piece on my lip just like some people chew snuff and yeah. I'll just swallow the juice all day and I never get cold. Really? Your hands, everything is just perfect kind of thing. I don't know why it uh, works that way. Many years ago when I was line cutting uh, an elder, uh, I was shivering terrible kind of thing all day and all these guys were hardly had any clothes on, you know, and it was like 40 blowing, like, how are you guys doing this? He said, try this and then, uh, you know, what is it? It's a plant that grows up here and I tried it and the next day I was, you know, without, you know, half the, half the clothing I had on the day before. Really? So, yeah. It's great for uh, respiratory. Um, it's really good for um, anything that, uh, like stomach uh, related stuff. Um, so there's a number of different uses for it. So well, That's fascinating. Yeah. We have probably about 200 medicine plants that grow in this area here that are, have been scientifically discovered or scientifically studied for them and uh, found that there's uh, you know, possibilities like uh, you would take the white poplar, the trembling aspen, you know, uh, the inside bark is what uh, has uh, ASA, which is an aspirin in it, as well as the sandbar willow also has that in it. So, right, right. And, um, you know, there's pretty much uh, anything that, uh, anything that uh, is out there uh, that we have that's wrong with us, there's something around that we can find that will, uh, this growing that will fix it, so. So. When we get back to trapping, you yep. have uh, actual uh, uh, one of these uh, job opportunities that that is actually relate uh, relates to trapping, and and that's you teach. Yeah, I uh, Saskatchewan and Saskatchewan. If you're born after 1984, you have to uh, pass a trapper's test here that will give us uh, will give you uh, the ability to purchase a license. In southern Saskatchewan, you uh, you can purchase a license and trap as long as you have permission. But in the northern zone or across the northern administrative line. Uh, it goes into the trapping blocks, so okay. that's how we... So and you, you teach courses, how many yep. courses a year? Um, I usually do about six is uh, what I do, and I kind of do it different. They do, a, they do offer a one-day, two-day courses, but I've moved it into a one-week course, and I go into the communities, and I take a, an animal for each student and a stretcher for them, and then uh, basically what we do is the first day we do theory, and the second day we go out and we set some traps. Okay. Third day we come in and uh, we uh, I have animals ready that are thawed and we will skin you know some of the weasel family and some of the rodents and you know uh, some of the dogs and get a different idea show them how to uh, do them for taxidermy and you know how to do the ears and the lips on on the stuff and uh, get that all done up. They uh, they actually keep the animal that they skin and they keep the stretcher uh, when they're there. Uh, the f next day we go out and. Uh, uh, we check the traps and look for sign again and uh, and uh, pick up what we have, bring it back in and skin it that day. And then the final morning we do a review and then uh, in the afternoon uh, a CIRM conservation officer comes in and uh, issues the, the test. It's a 50 question test and, and uh, from there then they have the ability to purchase a trapper's license. Oh, perfect. Well, I mean, it, it's uh, really good to do that hands-on thing. Like I know you can get course at one time you could challenge the course and it was just yeah. in alberta you could just challenge it yeah. and you go in and just write the course but yeah. there was no hands-on stuff yeah. right yeah you can you can do that here too for 20 bucks you can come and challenge the test at any uh conservation office in in the province but um 
there's a lot of things that you know like um you know like legal trap size in saskatchewan the largest uh, trap we can use is a uh, nine and a half inches you know yeah uh for jaw spread and uh you know there's questions like that on that test that right that uh, just um a lot of people don't know so trying to challenge it you have a very busy and varied lifestyle life that you've got out of uh out of being here in the in the outdoors yeah for sure i've been basically my whole life uh like i was telling you earlier i uh, tried the social work uh aspect for the first few years of uh, my adulthood i went to university and got some uh, education and come back and tried that and decided I hated it and <laughs> I ended up, uh, I uh, was actually working a job and just couldn't do it anymore and quit it and uh, next thing I found out uh, there was an area for, uh, for opportunity to be the nuisance trapper for beavers so I uh, went and applied and got it and uh, by spring I had I think 427 beavers that year so I kind of got uh, hooked on it uh, and uh, pretty much every year uh, since there was a few years after i found out about my eyes that i didn't uh, trap uh, fully like i said i was living in winnipeg and i was still catching the raccoons in the back alley that's the thing we wanted I, where, where i was headed for here is yeah. that this man who does so much who is uh, so involved in, and and uh, carries on doesn't ca doesn't pack any excuses he's legally blind he's legally blind and he does all this so all you out there saying that uh, you got something wrong with you some reason why you can't do something be ashamed. <laughs> be very feel, ashamed. He, he makes me feel ashamed. <laughs> well, you what just, what, what, you what to, happened to your eyes? Um, I have a genetic disorder. It's called the retinitis pigmentosa. And uh, basically the protein in my retina doesn't recycle anymore. So it's uh, they just kind of die from the outside in. And I'm down to about uh, about 6% peripheral vision right now. So I only have about 6%. Most people have 98%. Uh, but like when I hold my hands out, I don't see them until right there. Right kind of there thing. So yeah. I have this little hole that I see. And oh, wow. That's about, uh, and it was, uh, I was diagnosed in 1996. I was already down to about 16% uh, peripheral vision at that time. I'd right. been legally blind for a whole bunch of years, but I'd been driving 120,000 kilometers a year and, uh, and uh, you know, guiding all over Canada kind of thing and whatnot. So it was, uh, uh, you know, when they told me, um, you know, well, you're blind, you know, kind of thing. It was kind of a little hard thing to swallow. So it took me a couple of years to figure out what to do and everybody told me you know you got to get out of the bush you know I was living uh, pretty much in the bush all the time had a trap line going over on the other side on the west side of the province and had a hunting camp I was in partnership with a guy on and uh, it was uh, you know it was a I loved I loved my lifestyle I, so I went up north to Wallace in the summer and guided for fishing and it's easy to go to Quebec for a couple of weeks in the fall and play with caribou or out to the mountains and play with uh, elk or sheep and uh, stuff for different outfitters and then come back and uh, get my uh, whitetail and bear going and stuff so I believed everybody else and listened to them and for about uh, 15, 16 years, I was uh, trying to fit into something that I didn't fit into. And uh, four years ago, I got the opportunity to get back into this. And every, all my friends and family thought that I'd totally <laughs> fallen off the turnip truck. But uh, I uh, headed up here with my dogs and, uh, and uh, started uh, walking around, uh, trying to figure out what things were. And the first couple of years was a little difficult, but uh, as uh, now it's starting to uh, come this year, uh, like I need a driver, I can't drive, eh? And right. uh, this is the first year that I'm not driving quad or skidoo anymore myself. Uh, right. It just got a little dangerous last winter <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. So uh, It's good to be self-aware. Your, your passengers yeah. were screaming a lot. Right? Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. So uh, this year uh, I have a, a friend of mine's son that's uh, come up and he wants to learn a little bit about trapping. He's lived in the city all his life. He's never... 
set a trap or caught anything much in his life and uh, he's come up and uh, we've uh, got on it uh, back in about August. We started pre-baiting a bunch of boxes and uh, we had to catch a bunch of beavers and otters for our first class there so we ended up uh, taking 16 of those uh, earlier on in the season. Right. And, uh, whatnot and then we did the class and then uh, we kept uh, we didn't really get to, we didn't uh, come back and start trapping hard right away uh, kind of thing we had a few other things and a couple other classes I had to go do so we only really started trapping about uh, probably started setting traps about six days ago seriously okay and uh, whatnot so I think I had uh, must have about 15 or 16 Martins already so you know it, it's fascinating though you that you say that um you you know everybody said you had to get out of the bush and all that. It was the one place that was good for you. Yeah, it was. You know, and and you know when you when you came back around to it, live or die out here. You're it, it's still better than, than oh, being in the city. Totally, totally. Like uh, Brad's noticed that he says. When you go into the city, you know you kind of you change. You're not uh, you're not quite a nice a person as uh, you not know, so mellow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just I don't know the stress and like for myself, uh, like I carry a white cane in the city all the time, eh? Kind of thing. Right. It's more to let people know, but it's kind of cool too because the only cane you can hit somebody with and they apologize to you. <laughs> 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 Things to be aware of. <laughs> so, you know, you gotta, always got to see the upside, right? Yeah, yeah you got you to you look at the positive because you know, there's lots of negative out there. And if you dwell on that, you're going to... You know, oh, isn't gonna, that the truth, yeah, though? You're going to be you there. You also so. have uh, a job where you tell people to get off their butt and get out there. Yeah, for sure. I developed... Uh, well, back when I was a social worker, I was kind of... Uh, part of uh, the development of the life skills program in, in um, it started in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan back in the 80s and uh, I uh, was uh, I watched it for many years and it it's a definitely a beneficial program but I always thought that uh, you know you babied the people a lot too much in it so I had the opportunity about uh, eight years ago to produce something for a place I was working for and uh, I come up with an idea I took you know the eight major points of life skills and uh, put a you know, half a day uh, program together on it about what we have to do to be healthy. And uh, I've been putting that out uh, over northern Saskatchewan and I've been to, well, all over Saskatchewan. I think I've been to 117 communities in Saskatchewan and I put it on in, right. in that time. And uh, right now I've pretty much uh, moved away from it. I've got a number of different programs going. I've got another guy that's doing a really good job of it. He's a son of, a, of a, an elder who's uh, practiced a lot of medicines and things like that. So. So, yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that, that's interesting. What's the number one message that you give to these people? Basically, don't feel sorry for yourself. Find a way to do it. You know, like uh, anybody can be a victim, you know. Victim True words for today, man. Kind of True words. So anybody can be a victim. And if you play the victim mentality, you're going to, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you, you know, set some goals and work towards them, you're going to get to where you want to be. So. Yeah. I mean, well, excuses are are rampant dime, dime anymore. Dozen, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the the what is it called? The victim Olympics. Yeah. yeah. Victim Olympics, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so. Well, I think coming from a place of of truth for you, you know, when you when you can manage to get somewhere um, where a driver is required and and you get to a place where you've had to travel several hundred kilometers and you get there early and. Someone else struggles to get there yeah, three when, quarters of an hour late. When I first started in the morning, or first started, uh, I was doing the programs in the city, and I was living in the city, and you know, I'd walk to work every morning, and uh, 
my uh, boss says, hey, I got a program next week in, uh, it's about, in a community about 90 miles north of Prince Albert. And I said, well, how the hell am I going to get there? He said, you're a smart guy. You'll figure it out. You know? <laughs> 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 hey, I just wanted to give him a slap, you know, kind of thing. But I figured it out, you know, and a friend of mine, uh, he was uh, off work and uh, he liked fishing. So I said, I'll make you a deal. I'll pay your gas and make you lunch every day if you drive me up there and you can go fish all day. The ice fishing was just starting and whatnot. So he was more than happy to get his gas paid to go fishing every day. And that's how I started. And then ended up buying a vehicle and uh, getting another uh, another uh, getting a driver for it and you know and it just uh, kept going and going and like I was telling you guys today I uh, since the first of March I've uh, probably put on about 40,000 kilometers in the province here from job to job so it's always yeah. a way isn't there yeah, you, you'll, always you'll figure it away you'll yeah. figure it out if there's a will there's a way and then People just don't understand that, that uh, how important that that is. Like your stucco pens, there. There's got to be a way to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> so talking, let's go back to, to trapping then. Yep. Ta- talking about uh, uh, animals. What, do you have a favorite? I like Martin because they're so easy to to prop pay kind of thing. They're good money. But uh, yeah. but wolves are kind of my uh, they're they're something that they're just so smart. Hey, I remember when I was trapping as a kid, I caught my first fox, and I thought, well, you know, that was really a hard animal to catch. And then about six years later, I caught my first coyote, and I thought, well, that was a lot harder to catch. And then probably about twenty years ago, I caught my first wolf, and that was something that was just, I probably had a thousand sets that they figured out on me before, right. you know, kind of thing and whatnot. So the wolf's probably the favorite one that I like to catch. Um, it's nice to, you know, have a, a nice day in the spring where you're walking around on top of the ice and the sun shining and you're catching a bunch of muskrats too. That's always fun, you know, if you yeah. get a couple of people yeah. with you kind of thing. But yeah. But uh, they're, they're, the, the wolf's definitely the, the toughest uh, thing we have here. We got some cougars around too. and. They seem to be kind of on the same par as the wolf uh, when it comes to catching them, except they don't bait uh, around here. So uh, it's, uh, you know, finding a blind trail set and right. getting lucky on it. So. But yeah, you, you can legally, uh, you can snare and, and yeah, trap we, Yeah, we can snare and trap cougar. In, in Saskatchewan. In Saskatchewan, yeah. yes, we can, yeah. For the last three years now. Can so. you bait wolves here? Yeah, we can bait wolves, yeah. Yeah. And that's that, that's usually how we catch them in Alberta is, is baiting. Yeah, yeah uh, baiting here though, like we like I was telling you, right in this area here, within probably uh, you know 50, 50 mile radius, there's been way over a hundred wolves taken in the last uh, few years, a eh, kind of thing. So it's um, they get smarter when the pressure comes on. They get smarter and smarter all the time. So even the baits here, um, it's. Uh, they work, but not like uh, not like coyotes and stuff. Uh, the coyote, the baits work really well for coyotes, but right. the wolves here they tend to uh, be really nervous of them, um, you know, and getting them feeding one is really difficult. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you have an unusual situation because of the 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 power generation. The river never freezes. Yeah. Here, so it does very effectively divide your your, your trap line in half. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the the other side of the river, I do have wolves over there, and uh, but I've kind of made a deal with the outfitters over there that uh, they have uh, some pretty good whitetail over there too. So uh, I don't start trapping until uh, wolves over there till the first of December because right. they feel that uh, setting up the baits and stuff uh, brings the wolves in and it uh, you know damages their. Uh, Actually, I don't believe that, and, and here's why: because I've set trail cams on a lot of baits. And the first thing that's there sniffing one of my snares is a buck deer. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, the, I've seen that too. But they feel that it, it it causes the wolves to come in and stick around. 
That could and be then, true, yes. And then it makes yeah. it more difficult to uh, for them to get their hunters onto yeah. the deer. So. Yeah, I, I just don't think the bait itself affects them. But, yeah, it, it certainly can bring more activity, and, and that, can, that can certainly be tougher. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. What is, gives you the most satisfaction uh, about the life? Deciding what you're going to do every day, not having somebody tell you what to do. Kind of thing, you know. I get up in the morning. I look at the thermometer. I look at the solar inner tables, kind of thing, and then I make my decision on uh, what I'm going to do that day. Right. So, and uh, that's kind of the the aspect. Uh, the other thing too is, uh, you know, being able to do it for yourself. You know, like I could go live on a pension and you know have all my bills paid for me, and you know that's not me, kind of thing. I'm not the type of person that wants any type of handouts. Kind of, right. You know? So this I do it for myself, and uh, you know if I make it back to the cabin at night, it's a you know it's a good day kind of thing. You know? Exactly. Well, it's a little piece of paradise up yeah. here. You're on. You said that this is pretty much the highest point this, in the delta. Yeah. This here uh, ground here, in fact, about 60 feet or 70 feet from the cabin, there's a little knoll there that's the highest, uh, the highest in the whole Cumberland Delta here, and it's uh, actually a sand esker that runs right across. Uh, it goes across the river and then it goes up through uh, um, along the Hanson Lake Road and it actually goes right to La Ronge. And then across the river here, there's a couple little sections of muskeg that's maybe a kilometer wide uh, in between it, but uh, and then it goes up into the Pasco Hills on the other side. So it's a real serious travel corridor for all types of animals. Like we're only 10 miles off the farmland here and uh, and uh, we have, uh, you know, a couple wolverines come through every year. We've got cougar. We've got woodland caribou here. We've got all the things that are supposed to be really rare around. And, uh, you know, a population of flying squirrels that won't quit. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all got those. Yeah. So this, this sand esker, does it influence, like, the martin? Totally, totally. Uh, like, uh, on the other side, uh, out of the six zones of my trap line, they always, uh, I'm the only one that's on this side of the river. And uh, like there, the sand esker runs over there, but um, uh, it's only, it's, it's quite a bit smaller. It's only about a half mile wide over there. Mm -hmm. And then it widens out on the other side. And uh, they get a little bit on there, but down in the muskeg, there's just no martin. Like uh, I get 40 and uh, you know, my neighbors get two or three. It would be a really good year for them. So they get a little bit more fisher, but uh, the martin just, uh, it seems like they need that, uh, that pine, that uh, sand to really, really, you know, do well, I think. So. Well, we don't get them in pine where no. we are. Where, no. Like, I mean, the um, the mixed hardwood, yeah. that, that that with the occasional spruce, that's uh, far more important. But uh, I agree with you that not much gets caught in muskeg. We get cats in the muskeg. Yeah. You know, yeah. cats travel the muskeg in the wintertime especially. A uh, good place to catch them. But uh, yeah. the martin, not at all. So what else do you look for? Is, is it just this sand esker the place for your martin? Um, no, I do pretty good too. Uh, like um, down towards the farmland, there's an old burn that's about 20 years old, mm -hmm. and it's coming back. And we do pretty good for martin over there as well, kind of thing. So right down along the river too? No, that's uh, that's probably six miles off the river. That one. No, but so. is is it productive? Your where you butt up against? Oh river? yeah, like I was I was showing you today. I've got that one strip along the road that's you know anywhere from a kilometer to thirty or sixty meters wide along the road, and I do catch a big portion of my fur in that little strip there, right along the river. That's so, crazy, hey. Yeah. You're telling me about a fascinating uh, cooperative uh, venture you have with a fellow who, who actually catches uh, was it tulipy or. 
Cisco. Yeah, no, I don't, I'm not. It's his business down the street, uh, down the road here. Yeah. He has a mineral license on the Saskatchewan River here, and, yeah. and uh, he's uh, been catching the Cisco's um, this time of year. He's got a trap net set up. Yes. And he gets probably 400 a morning, kind of thing. Every morning he goes and cleans those traps out and uh, stuff. So. But he wants you to help him with the. The otters, yeah. yeah. He's having some issues with otters there. So. Did you happen to catch on the news uh, in Vancouver? They have uh, Japanese gardens, and this Japanese gardens has a water park in it that has like 20 and 30 year old koi, and these koi are worth thousands of dollars. They're very and they're very revered and everything else. Well, last year in 2018, uh, an otter discovered it, and they they were just having a heart attack. The Japanese were having a heart attack because this otter was there doing what an otter does, yeah. eating and having a great time, killing them all, and then finally it disappeared. And so. There was one guy kind of claimed that, you know, he'd, he'd scared the otter away or, or pushed it off or, or some other nefarious thing, right? The, the otter's back. <laughs> he came back again in October. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. If, there's a, if there's a free lunch around, they'll be taking it kind yeah. of thing. And uh, in there, it's, it's actually the spillway for the hydro dam is where he does it. And it's a landlocked uh, group of fish. So uh, he uses trap nets so that he can, you know, selectively harvest the right size that he uses there. Everything he, he uh, catches is used for bait for northern pike eh? oh, okay. or lake trout. And right. uh, they're, they're probably from four to seven inches, four to eight inches long, uh, the ones that he's keeping and stuff, but uh, they know exactly where them trap nets are and they'll go and uh, tear the side out of it out and wow. feast. And That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Gorge themselves. <laughs> yes, they sure do. Yeah. So he, uh, he's he been trying to, uh, like I said, we just started trapping, so we're probably trying to get a few sets over there. It's, uh, it's kind of a tricky area because uh, the one side of the road is a game preserve where there's no trapping and that's where he has his nets, right, uh, where the game preserve is, but the other side we can trap there and uh, whatnot, but it's uh, within the 50 meters of the hydroelectric dam. And uh, we have a, a game law here that says that you uh, aren't supposed to unless uh, you have permission. And right. I've got permission from uh, them to trap them there now. Yeah. So we'll probably get on them in the next few days and see what we can get. Oh, that's good. That's good. So what else is happening? Um, I do a little bit of leaching in the summer too. I, uh, That's got, right. You were, we, I, I didn't want to forget that. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, about uh, 30 years ago, I was uh, a little short on cash one summer and uh, I wanted to go fishing. So uh, I decided that uh, maybe I'll try and catch my own leeches instead of pay the four bucks a dozen for them or whatever they were selling for at the time. So I started playing around with a few different designs of traps and uh, whatnot and uh, come up with one that I just basically fold a pie plate in half and uh, put a clip on it and uh, put a pencil on the end where you fold it over so there's a little hole to go through and throw a piece of bait in there and, uh, you know, throw it around the swamps and, uh, you know, lots of them there's, that pie plate is full, you know, you couldn't get another leech in there in the morning, so. Best wow. bait? Best bait I found is kidney. Kidney, yeah, okay. Pork kidneys has been pork kidney has been my best bait. I've tried liver, I've tried heart, I've tried deer meat, I've tried oh, everything kind sakes. of thing, and pork kidney has been by far better than anything that I've used. <laughs> you've got this tin pie plate that's yeah. folded over. It's an eight-inch pie plate. Yeah. So how many would be inside it? Oh, probably. You know, they'll hold maybe 200, 225 when they're right full. Uh, a leech in one pie in, plate. In one pie plate, you know. And depending on the size of the leech too, as, it, as later on the summer too, they get bigger too. So um, you get less, but um, you know, 150 of the jumbos is what would fit in a pie plate probably. Oh, so they get bigger as the summer goes on? Yeah. 
Okay. And you set them then every night? Uh, yeah, we go out uh, just before dark and set them, and then right at daybreak in the morning, uh, we go out and pull the traps and dump them in a pail, and then uh, I put the pail out in the sun for a couple hours, and all the leeches, that, uh, like all the hard-bodied leeches, the uh, medical leeches and stuff, they'll all crawl out of the pail, and uh, you're left with your ribbon what? and your muds. Yeah. What? That's I'm, how you sort I, them. I didn't... This is cool. Yeah. This is cool. I had I'm, no I've, idea. I've, I've, I've literally used thousands upon thousands of leeches, and I didn't know... Hard-bodied leech. What do you? What? Well, like the medical leech, the horse leech. Uh, they're uh, okay. You know, leeches you use. They got a really soft skin to you know to them when you put them on. Yeah. Um, the hard-bodied leech. They they have a much tougher skin. It's hard to get your hook through and whatnot. And the fish just won't eat them. Really? Uh, you they you might get the odd bite on them, but uh, oh. the ribbon the ribbon and the mud are the two major ones that uh, in this area here that uh, we market. So are are they like a blood sucking leech? No, no, no that's no. that's the medical leech. That's the medical leech. So then, when they when those hard bodies crawl out, where do they do they make their own way back to water, or no. they just die? <laughs> Depends how close you are to the water, but on this okay. hill, it's about eight hundred meters. So yeah, okay. I don't think so. <laughs> well, I've so. seen horse leeches that big. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're just gigantic. Yeah. Wow. You yeah. see them swim through the water, they're, yeah. they're, they're just gigantic. Well, gigantic. I got some ribbon leeches just before freeze-up this year that were way bigger than my thumb. Really? Yeah, they were huge. In fact, uh, some of them got used in the Vanity Cup here, I think. So So, how many would you catch in a... Oh, it depends on plates, but I, I don't usually set too many, you know, 18 plates or something. Um, and uh, out of that, you probably have maybe 3,000 leeches, you know. In the morning? Yeah. Wow. And how, how many of those will be the, the, the ribbon and... Majority of them, about majority. 90, 90%, yeah. Okay. So. And you sell them to the, the local bait shop? Yeah, I, I, I'm just going to start marketing them next year. I really, this year was just a, a year where I was seeing which bodies had the leeches here, and I found about 15, 16 really good bodies that are, are good. Another thing you really want to look for if you're looking for leech waters, you want uh, dead wood standing in it. Dead wood standing? Dead wood standing in it. It wow. will really increase your uh, your ability. So in like an old beaver dam. Yeah, or something and you like want that. no fish in it. No fish, yeah. No that, fish. That if there's sense, fish, yeah. uh, the leech catch goes down big time. So. Yeah. Oh, I imagine. So, and so just, just as long as that plate is underwater, that's all it takes? Yeah, or, it's, or is there a depth of water? I usually throw in about 12 inches, you know. 12, 12 inches. 12 inches is uh, along, the, along the grass, you know, or whatever the reeds that are growing there, just outside of there, just on the edge of that's where I usually throw it. And oh, cool. And uh, you can just, uh, you know, right from shore, eh, you can toss them, uh, toss them in there. And, uh, you know, I use a, a power pro line to bring them in 50 pound. It never breaks. And that is so interesting. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> how, big a, how big a chunk of kidney are you putting in there? Uh, about uh, maybe the size of a small strawberry kind of thing. Just oh, a little, really? Yeah, so just a little one tiny. kidney goes a long ways. Oh, yeah, you can probably get 10, 12 pieces out of a kidney, 15 pieces out of a kidney. Wow. No kidding. <laughs> Yeah. Things I didn't know. Yeah, yeah that is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've also, uh, we're also looking at uh, next year, we had a couple of bodies of water here that are in that game preserve that uh, the local outfitter was uh, planting trout in and then his guests would fish them. But uh, South Power owns that uh, land around the game preserve and they decided because of liability issues that they didn't want uh, the public in there anymore. So these, uh, these bodies of water have been uh, shut down for, uh, they haven't been able to plant them for a few years. So I put a proposal to them that I want to uh, put some trout in there and raise them commercially and I'll be the only guy in there and, you know, I'll sign a waiver kind of thing. So it looks like that might come through and we'll put a, we'll try. Uh, the first year uh, that uh, he put them in there, uh, the outfitter, he said he got uh, uh, up to three pounds in the fall. Oh, okay. So wow. they grew very fast. There's yeah. a lot of food. There. Yeah, there's a lot of freshwater shrimp and stuff. Fresh, so, fresh, yeah. yeah, freshwater shrimp. So I might. Uh, we're going to play with that next spring as long as uh, you know. I get the. It look. It looks pretty good right now. So I was uh, 
we may, uh, you know, throw in a thousand trout just to see what happens. So many irons in the fire. Yeah. You keep well, track of it all. Yeah, it's just, you know, different times of the year, you know, yeah. we got 12 months and, you know, I spend <laughs> a couple months trapping, you know, and a month on birch and, you know, just kind of works around. It all fills time. All, it all, it all kind of works out through the year kind of yeah. thing. And, uh, you know, you have something to do every month that way. And I truly believe that the time that you spend in, in the bush, uh, you, you're not charged full pull for it. No, it, it definitely increases the length of your life. I yeah. think so, It's, it's yeah. a hard lifestyle, like, you know, the physical activity and stuff. But, uh, you know, no, you don't got to join a gym. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Well, I'm looking forward to tomorrow and, and seeing the rest of your trap line, checking the rest of, your, uh, of the, the traps and sets. Yeah. Uh, it's very exciting. I, I I'm going to, when we go across that river, I'm going to st stand there and stare into it. I mean, the, I know what kind of walleye swim in there. I think you said your your biggest was 16 pounds. 16.2, yeah. 16.2. And then we, I, my daughter caught one uh, we didn't have a scale with that I think probably would have broke that yeah. kind of thing. And then uh, my friend Deb, too, she got one that we didn't have a scale with one night that was right up there kind of thing, too. So. Wow. But I've... I've easily got 100 over 10 pounds. Yeah, it's just, just incredible. And I really place. haven't fished here for two years. Last two years, I've been, you know, remodeling the cabin, and there's always been something to do. So we'll go down to the dam here and throw out some pickle rigs for an hour and catch, you know, well, last time we were down there, I think we got 18 in an hour. And, you know, we kept our four each and headed four home. Four each. I'm envious. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Just across the other side of the dam, though, there's uh, the slot size, and it's uh, much better fishing on this side of the dam than the other because mm -hmm. Tobin Lake has some really stringent uh, rules on slot size and, right. and limits and stuff like that. So right. um, we have no slot size on the bottom. You can only keep the one bigger one, but uh, the rest, uh, you know, we can, uh, you know, keep... Uh, the the four fish where you can only keep two in Tobin as well too. But, but we had a feast of walleye tonight for yes, supper and that was very enjoyable. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of nice. Uh, Deb and myself uh, this summer, a friend of mine, we uh, set a bunch of crawdad traps in the in the river here, and uh, we're attempting to uh, see what they were about. But uh, we didn't kind of we got it down. We got like eight was the best trap that we got. Uh, was that the rusty? Yeah, the rusties. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah kind of thing. So. Uh, and uh, some of them were pretty good size too. So uh, um, probably about uh, five, Are you five me? inches, yeah, kind of thing. The biggest wow. ones, yeah, just like little lobsters. Wow, that's huge. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is huge. Yeah, so. certainly is. She's developed a trap now. She's going to bring up next spring that's uh, got bigger squares so the little guys can get out. Okay. So okay. <laughs> we'll see if that works or not. I don't know. Well, I'd like to thank you for uh, sitting down here with us. Uh, do you? Uh, have a website you want to send yeah, people to? Yeah, we're just, uh, I've got a Facebook page going called Wilderness Quest. Uh, it's Wilderness kind of a daily Quest. blog of what we're doing up here and, uh, you know, how I'm, you know, some of the trials and tribulations of trying to be in the bush when you don't see kind of thing because uh, there's you, all... You make it seem very trivial. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a challenge some days, I'll tell you. I kind can of imagine. Thing. You that little stick you don't see or something. And oh, yeah. I'm, I become a professional faller, like I can... <laughs> <laughs> tuck and roll oh, tuck and roll was he i'm good i'm good <laughs> well you the know. shadows you said yeah. often yeah, like a lot what was the worst thing last winter was uh, the shadows really started to get to me i'd be driving along with the skidoo and then you come into a shadow in the bush and stuff yeah i'd have to stop the skidoo and let my eyes adjust before i could see again sunglasses nothing was working anymore for oh. me and so oh, man. so uh yeah that can be a really uh, a really challenge but it's uh it's good in figuring out where to set your snares and stuff though after watching the show you did with morley there yeah. uh, <laughs> it, uh you know i'd been 
been at it for about 50 years already. And uh, when I heard that, that's oh, a good idea. Kind of thing, so. You know what, though? I mean, you, you, you meet it like you meet every day with humor and, and uh, you know, you're ready to, t to take it on and give it a try. And I mean, as long as you've got that, you, you, you know, that's, that's you've got the, about, yeah. the battle half won. Positive attitudes is what it's all about. Get up in the morning and, uh, you know, like I said, if you want to be a victim, you're going to be a victim kind of thing. But yep. if you want to, you know, if you want to do something, you just got to do it. Nobody's going to do it for you. Mindset is everything. That's absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, we'd like to thank you for being here. Well, thank you. It was uh, shake, me, shake oh, my hand yeah. there, man. There we go. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I, I'm you got to get, it, you gotta get up my vision area. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I thought about afterwards. Oh, dear. He can't see it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been a pleasure having you. It's uh, really, a, really an honor to have you up here and. Uh, see what we're up to and uh, stuff and uh, I've been watching your show here for a couple of years and uh, when uh, Trevor told me that he'd met up with you and you're interested in coming and seeing how I do it uh, kind of thing he'd say she'd never seen anybody barrel a trap before but. <laughs> <laughs> so well, you want to be sure to watch for Mark on uh, in season six of uh, Trapping Inc yeah. we're going to have a we have a it's just under construction right now I also have a website up it's called uh, wildernessquest.ca okay and uh, we'll be more, you know, it'll be more of that stuff coming out. But right now, pretty much everything that I'm doing is on that uh, Wilderness Quest page. That Facebook. I yeah, Facebook. And Fantastic. All right. Well, we sure appreciate the hospitality, Mark. Thank you so much for having us up here. It's been a real pleasure. Awesome. Thank well, you. thank you for coming. Thank you.